This is a Broad Pods production. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go with Joe Stanley and Serpul Chanelmish. Kathy Wilcox is a cartoonist and she joins us today to tell us what it's like to be that person that can condense everything that's happening on the political scene into one picture and tell that story. And then Dr Michael Flood from Queensland University, he is a researcher into masculinity and gender. He talks to Joe and Serpil about toxic masculinity, why he doesn't like that term, and about positive masculinity. Don't forget to follow us online on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can check out more at broadradio.com.au. Oh, gee, we've got some very creative, amazing women joining us today. And I am excited to welcome to the show a guest who has been a long time coming because this is our third time lucky attempting to have the extraordinary Walkley Award winning cartoonist Kathy Wilcox on the show. Hi there, Kathy. Hi, Joe. Hi, Sybil. Hi, oh, Kathy. Oh, look, I, I'm so thrilled. And it's just the way of the world, right? That you just sometimes. Ugh. Things happen. We don't make the connection. Yeah. But here you are. Um, and I said to you earlier, uh, for me, your cartoons kind of defined the last federal election and you were a little bit bashful about that. Were you surprised that I said that? Oh, well, I don't know. It just seems that there's an awful lot of cartoonists all kind of racing after the same target at the same time. So who's to, who's to know? But I, I, think I, I think I did invest in it in, in a way... You know, I kind of, I kind of went. We self-censor, okay? As cartoonists um, and and commentators, we self-censor because we become sensitive to to the possibility that we might be being unfair. And I really don't want to ever be unfair and criticise things, un- people and groups and parties or whatever unfairly. But then you kind of realise that that ends up um, having a a reverse effect or at least the, the, the gaslight effect of, of thinking that you oughtn't criticise something because you'll be seen as being unfair whereas what you're doing is criticising something that is very much needing to be criticised. Mm. And um, 
And I felt that there was so much going on in the lead up to the last election that was kind of an accumulation of offences, mm -hmm. an accumulation of offences against democracy and transparency and accountability and all those sorts of things. And I just kind of went, well, I'm not, I don't think I need to hold back. I don't think I need to, you know, try and be even-handed or criticise both, both sides to the same extent when one side is the one in power and the one using the power the, the most. So, so I kind of did go, this has to be pointed out. Um, by the way, as you, you noted earlier, um, the canine interruptions are a feature of your show. <laughs> um, my canine is interrupting us, and so I can just oh, no. Tilly, Tilly the dog. Hello there. Hi, Hello, Tilly. Tilly. <laughs> the neighbour who was taking her dog for a walk, and we often walk together. So Tilly is there. Um, she's just come in and she's uh, she's excitedly telling me she's had a great time. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So, so Kathy, when you say that you self-censor, is that partly because you're fearful that you'll receive trolling or a pushback that's quite unpleasant? Um, probably at some level. <laughs> at some level, I think I think I'm. Um, I I hate to I hate to say I think I might be. Um, thin-skinned <laughs> and people will say people will say oh yeah you can dish it out but you can't take it that's totally true I can't take it, no. <laughs> it, it gets under my it gets under my skin but no I think in some regards like if if it's trolling actually if it's just so clearly a troll and you you know if it comes in on Twitter and it's by some some you know a hole who who has two followers and uh, you know and he's got a an Aussie flag and a you know a bunch of little symbols beside his name and a bunch of you know numbers before his before his fake name and all the rest of it you know damn well that that is not coming from a sincere and heartfelt place um, the 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 pushback that you are more afraid of is the people whose whose regard you care about mm. and and that's where um, that's where the sort of the modern propagandist um, is is the is the uh, is making the most um, of that fear of being criticised. So it's it's kind of it's all got really complicated these last mm. these last years. Things have got complicated because so I tell you that I'm sensitive to to justified criticism. You know, I have to go away and think about it. And, and I also have to interrogate whether the criticism is justified. I can't, unless it's so obviously partisan kickback, somebody just, you know, oh, yeah, you bloody lefty greenies or whatever, you know, that, that, that's obvious enough to be able to just dismiss because they would say that sort of thing. But I have encountered also this other kind of criticism, which I see as, as being... Well, on the one hand, uh, you know, it might be thoughtful people uh, urging me to, to have a, a deeper thing. But also this is used by people who have a very strong interest in sowing doubt. Um, and that is the sort of the people pro you know, propagandising for such as the Russian wars or, you know, sort of various other, other causes where the criticism you get is quite personal. It often comes to you directly. It comes directly as an email rather than on on um, on Twitter, um, and it comes 
in, with the tone of, oh, I'm really disappointed that someone like you would say that that, you, that thing you said in your cartoon. Mm. Um, I thought that someone like you would have known better than that. Oh, and, um It's so patronising, yeah. apart from anything else. It's yeah, pa- yeah. Patronising and it's, and it's niggling. Yeah. And, um, and it took me so, a, few, a few encounters of that to go, I see. <laughs> I see this is actually a very a well-worn technique. Um, mm. and, if you, and, you, and if you read the... Um, if you read the email out in a Russian accent, in a bad Russian accent, it usually, it usually <laughs> reveals itself, you know? That's right. So, so Kathy, <laughs> it's an interesting thing that you, you mention about, you know, the criticism and the self-centering and the trolling because it, this, is the, this is pretty much the world we find ourselves in. But you didn't start off like that. You know, when, when you started cartoons, we probably just had letters to the editor. But now we've got this, mm. you know, we've got keyboard warriors, you know, uh, this culture of 24-7 outrage how has that shifted yeah. your your approach to cartoons from when you know back in the days when we only had to deal with letters to the editor ah it's 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 um it's a really good question you know it's a really valuable question and it does it just changes everything um back in the days of letters to the editor if someone liked your cartoon a whole lot you might get one letter mm. t- t- in t- on the twitters if someone likes your cartoon you might get, you know, 500, 1,000 likes or something like and And so from, from, you know, from the early days of Twitter, I remember a, a friend of mine who was an actor saying, and she wasn't, she wasn't a fan of Twitter and all that sort of stuff, and I was still, you know, new, new to it. But she said, oh, isn't it just a bunch of self-affirmation? You know, you just sort of need, you know, need to have your, your ego stroked. And I said, you're an actor. So do <laughs> your performance, uh, silence in the room. And then three, three days later, somebody follows you up on the street to say, oh, by the way, I really liked your performance on that, <laughs> in that play. Because that's what it used to be like with, with the letter to the editor that might roll in days later. Otherwise, you're doing your stuff in a kind of a, in a dark in a dark, quiet room, you know, unless maybe your you're, uh, sub-editor who you filed your cartoon to felt the need to say, oh, yeah, good one. Yeah, you're tackling some really, really tough topics, right? Like you said yourself, you, you know, looking at your cartoons, you've tackled everything from, you know, climate change to, to um, you know, a climate of sexism, for instance. Um, but mm-hmm. is, the, the, is the job of a cartoonist to be polarising? Is, is that the, the, the core role of a cartoonist, to get us to to think deeply about issues well what what is the the nub of the the role of a cartoonist well it's definitely not to be polarizing as far as i'm concerned i mean i'm i i accept that there will be you know you're putting up a cartoon about um uh the debate about uh voice to voice to parliament Mm. and you know you you only could sort of see the 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 arguments uh, being warmed up to counter it um, from these people saying, well, 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 I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to consider it unless I saw the detail. And you know, they're the very, the, the very same people who would go, oh, I'd reject those details. You know, <laughs> don't like those details. <laughs> other ones that I can also reject. Um, uh, but um, you know, so you you know that there's going to be some people who are going to, you know, not be be affected, and that to a large degree, you may well be preaching to the choir. I hope that the medium of cartooning is something that can actually 
um, just cause people to, you know, pause for a moment, either either to find that what they suspected, they they're not alone in suspecting. We, you know, when they think that something's something's dodgy, and the cartoonist kind of confirms that they're that that yeah, the cartoonist thinks it's dodgy too, and and you know, this is mm-hmm. kind of a reasonable take. Well, we were earlier talking about this uh, comment that Dr. Monique Ryan received about having unelectable hair going into the election, yeah. <laughs> oh, <I guess. laughs> and, and 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 this notion that that um, these public figures, and it seems more well, we know actually factually because the research has been done that women receive this much more than men. Um, is it fair game for you as a cartoonist to then to use someone's physical appearance in what you do? Yeah, that's changed a bit too, hasn't it? <laughs> that has that has changed a bit, and I've um, and I've watched my own evolution in that space as well, um, because it was all just you know like exaggerating all features was the the way you drew cartoons from the from the very starting point and from from my my early you know Bugs Bunny watching days all these all these characters you know I've, I've found them interesting also as a, as an art student and a life drawing student um i loved drawing different shapes of people and um and then in caricature you 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 kind of pull out the essence um i drew uh, you know the the um <laughs> the, the, the the legend for me is that in uh, about year two uh, sorry year eight at school at a, at a girls' school, I drew caricatures of all the girls in my class and instantly lost about thirty friends um, because <laughs> because the girls didn't didn't like being drawn in an unflattering way. Did and you draw another, their chin? Oh yes, <laughs> I would hope you would draw me their with a chin, very long chin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually talking about your very long chin. You have a lovely. A lovely face. I look at you and go, sure. That's the, <laughs> that's how she looks, and she looks lovely. Um, so, uh, yeah. I and I also didn't see it as, I didn't see it as a bad thing. Um, and I had another friend at that at school at that stage. You know, the other girl in the year who could draw, and I and I figured she, I thought she could draw better than me, but she also drew drew prettier than me, and she could draw pictures of all the girls in the class. And they would love her for it because she could make them all look lovely and all that sort of thing. But um, I don't know. I I didn't. I never um, valued myself according to my looks. Like I, that was never currency in my life. I've never been the, the the pretty one of the bunch. So that's easy to hide behind and draw other people and just kind of see them as, as curious. I'm dragging this out because you want to, you know, you want an answer on things like, so what about, you know, when it was Julia Gillard or something like that? And what was that sexist to draw her with a big bum? And was it this and that? It's really complicated because on the one hand, we're, we're there with a, with a, with a drawing and, you know, I'm, I'm doodling all the time. I'm always, you know, with a pencil in the back of, a, of an envelope and probably a bill I should pay or something like that, but I ignore the bill and just draw the, you know, draw on the envelope. But I'm, I'm always doodling and I'm always going, ooh, what a face. And I actually find it really hard to follow TV news, for example, TV news and current affairs, because I'm so um, distracted by the visual. I'm looking at the, the, the faces and features and, and whatever of people and I'm completely forgetting to listen to what they have to say. So I, I depend heavily on the audio um, uh, current affairs and news to, um, to, to function. I, I, have to, I have to hear the word rather than, rather than see because I'm mm. looking at something else. 
But um, I guess it all depends on where it comes from because I was I de defended the caricatures of, of um, Gillard back in the day by saying, well, it's only if you think having a big bum is a bad thing that drawing mm -hmm. her with a big bum is bad. Um, I would just say that she's, you know, you're depicting a shape so that it's recognisable and, um, you know, this is the, and, and caricature it tends, to, tends to exaggerate things. But, um, but then other people were, were, were doing it in a way that I guess was, was grotesque. But we, we do grotesque, mm. don't we? We do, we want to draw Trump as grotesquely as we can. But, and I guess that <laughs> brings us to the conclusion when we were asking the question on our social media, is Kathy Wilcox fearless, cheeky or a sceptic with a healthy BS detector? Um, it's a little bit of column A, B and C. Uh, but what you are is, um, you know, you, you're calling it as you see it um, from a, a, you know, you, a, you, it, you play a very important critical role, I suppose, to power, which um, a lot of people in power are not challenged, essentially. So, I and, I, and I, I love yeah. the way that cartoons distill a really complex issue mm. into this one really simple explanation as opposed to a 2,000-word deep dive article. Yes, because I don't have time to and read if a 2,000-word deep dive. I'm afraid I try to push through that fear too I do try to if I detect that I'm afraid to talk about something I think that must be something I should talk about so oh, I do I, I do kind of use, I use that as a as a as a challenge I suppose that I that I need to push through well and I think that's that's a wonderful rule for life if you're afraid that's a good indication you should be doing it perhaps yeah. Kathy thank you so much and thank you for your amazing uh, very clever uh, art because it really is art and it's, um, yeah, I really, I think we all gain a lot from it in the public discourse. So thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. I could, I could talk for hours, but you've got yes. other people. And thank <laughs> you for Tilly as well. Ah, oh, thank Yes, thanks, Tilly. She's, she's very she's, patient. Uh, she's my, uh, she, she has all my ideas for me. She, <laughs> she's, she's, a brains, she's the brains behind this operation. <laughs> thanks so much, Kathy. You have a great day. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2 a.m. existential crisis, <laughs> we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So it does feel a long way from Afghanistan here. And as you say, Seapul, most certainly we enjoy freedoms here that make us very, very fortunate by comparison. Yet still, of course, gendered violence is endemic in our society. And there are campaigns to try to change that. I am very lucky to be a part of one such campaign. It's called Stop It at the Start, which is out of the Office for Women, the Federal Office for Women. And it's about having conversations with our kids about respect right from the beginning. But there are many leaders in research as well who are doing lots of things to shift attitudes to end the gender inequality that leads to gendered violence in Australia. And one such person is Dr Michael Flood, whose Twitter feed is a constant source of information. It's a fantastic resource for me. He's a researcher into masculinity and violence prevention. He joins us now. Hi there, Michael. How are you doing? Now, I understand we've already had a dog on the show and you have a couple of cats who are lurking to join us as well. So (laughs) we look forward to seeing them. I've put them in the sun, so they may stay away for a little while. We'll see. Oh, yes. Well, now, okay. so to more serious matters, um, Michael, your book is called Engaging Men and Boys in Violence Prevention. How do we engage men and boys? Look, the first place to start, really, is, is with the sense that men and boys are both part of the problem and part of the solution. And to focus on the second of those, you know, many men and boys already treat women in their lives with respect and care, but men have often stood by silently while a minority of men perpetrate violence and a larger number of men condone that violence, you know, make jokes or comments or in other ways turn a blind eye to that violence. And so men have an absolutely vital role to play. One of the ways we can educate, we can engage men and boys is through um, respectful relationships in schools, through, you know, face-to-face education in schools. We can engage men as role models in sports, in workplaces, um, in their communities. We can use social marketing and communication campaigns to shift the norms and attitudes among some men and boys that feed into violence. The evidence is that those strategies work, but at this stage, they're in Australia at least, they're small and scattered and they need scaling up. Michael, is there a typical pathway to uh, Australian manhood uh, or are there very clear geographic and class differences that that influence whether our boys and men gravitate towards a culture of hypermasculinity that hurts themselves as well as, you know, the, the women around them, their mothers, their wives, their partners, their sisters? Look, there's two things. On the one hand, I'd say that in Australia, there are some common norms, some common kind of sets of expectations that boys and men face. And the Manbox survey, which was done by Jesuit Social Services in the last couple of years, the Manbox survey showed that among young men, substantial numbers um, thought, felt still that to be a man is to be tough, to be in control. Um, substantial minorities of young men felt that men should be dominant in relationships and households and so on. And we know that most men don't use violence against women, but the men who do are more likely than other men to believe that men should be dominant in the families and in the relationships. They're more likely to have a sense of entitlement, a sense of entitlement to obedience or deference or sexual access to women's bodies. They're more likely to be involved in relationships characterised by inequality, by dominance that they have over women and so on. 
And so the kind of common norms of masculinity um, do feed into the violence that some men perpetrate. At the same time, there's diversity. There's certainly diversity in Australia in terms of um, you know, what it means to be a man, in terms of how gender roles and relations work. But if we want to stop the violence that some men perpetrate against women and girls, we will absolutely have to shift what are some pretty common um, ideals or norms of masculinity. But also... And we know that we have a huge problem with male suicide in this country, with uh, mental health issues in men in this country, depression, anxiety, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's an epidemic, that in itself. And surely that's come from toxic masculinity because I know the men in my life are not served by that version of being male. No, look, that's exactly right. And so there are really two problems with our common or dominant models of how to be a man. And one is that they feed into the harms that some men do to women, violence, domestic and sexual violence, harassment and so on. The second problem, as you've named, is they feed into harms among men and boys themselves. And suicide is a perfect example. Now, suicide among men and boys is shaped by many factors. One of those factors from, from a wealth of evidence is conformity to particular rigid norms of masculinity. Putting it more clearly, boys and men who believe that to be a man is to not ask for help, to be a man is to always be tough, to be in control, to not show weakness and so on, those men and boys are more likely than other men and boys to um, suicide and indeed to complete suicide. So while masculinity is not the only story, conformity to those particular norms of masculinity does to suicide among men and boys. Likewise, conformity to traditional or stereotypical masculinity also feeds into driving, into excessive alcohol use, into homophobia, into lack of involvement in parenting and so on. So I'm not saying that gender, you know, the, the expectations, the norms that men and women face is the only story, but it's certainly an important story in shaping both the harm that some men do to women and the harm that um, boys and men themselves often suffer. Um, before I ask my question, I just want to do the responsible thing. If, if this topic is bringing up anything for anyone at this point, there are organisations that you can reach out to, like Beyond Blue. I, I think it could be triggering for some people. Um, I, I, I'm curious to know whether uh, toxic masculinity is always overt or can it lie dormant and, and rear its head when you know men find themselves in a stressful situation and they don't perhaps have the tools or the or the skills to mm. deal with their emotions or what they're feeling, or, or even not a, just a stressful situation, but if there's a, a peer group around them that insists on it. Look, that's right. And look, I, I want to say too that I I don't like the phrase toxic masculinity that mm. much because it's so often misheard. By men and boys as hearing as, as thinking something fundamentally or intrinsically toxic about being a man or about mm. manhood now instead what the term is meant to identify my particular version of masculinity one particular set of expectations about being a man that are toxic toxic for the men who conform to them and toxic for those around them so assuming that how toxic masculinity plays out in part is to do with men's own attitudes, men's own expectations of, of themselves and what they feel capable of doing. Do they feel capable of asking for help? Do they feel capable of you know, sharing the troubles they're facing with a friend, for example? But it also shapes men's peer relations, as you've said. And it's often men's 
expectations of how their peers, particularly their male peers, will see them that shapes their own behaviour. And one problem here is that men often overestimate the man's support for toxic or rigid or narrow masculinity. And so part of what we need to do is actually turn up the volume, is turn up the volume on the actual diversity among men and boys and the fact that many men and boys assume that everyone else conforms to those ideals but don't actually subscribe to them themselves. Because, you know, we have these campaigns around not being a bystander and I think they're fantastic. I think they're wonderful campaigns. But are we arming the people that we're targeting with actually the strategies to step in where, you know, they do observe disrespect or where they do observe a threat to a a woman? Like, Like, are we giving people strategies for that? Look, I think we are, but we're up against some really significant obstacles. And one for men in particular is that um, many men, more so than women, many men simply aren't aware of or don't recognise low-level forms of violent or harassing behaviour. So many men will say, oh, you know, rape is bad, I would never hit a woman, those kinds of things, but not notice or turn a blind eye to much more everyday forms of aggression or disrespect that some men perpetrate against women. A a second obstacle is that even when they are uncomfortable with those behaviours, uncomfortable with a sleazy joke about rape or a victim-blaming comment, for example, many men don't know what to do, don't know what they can say against a mate or against, you know, a work colleague. And third, there's those kind of codes of loyalty, codes of male bonding, of loyalty, particularly to your male peers, that stop some men from speaking up. Having said all that, it is possible to shift those. And I do think in Australia, growing numbers of men are speaking up and saying, hey, that's not okay. You can't talk Mm. to her like that. Or what are you doing? So we are starting to see some shifts, I think, in men's willingness to speak up um, in response to violent and violent supportive behaviours. I think that's a really interesting observation though because I have had conversations with my husband and other men in my life where I've gone you've got no idea what it's like to walk through uh, you know the city at night time and you know that there's going to be comments and and until I actually had that first conversation with these men they had no idea they they're like sort of oblivious and what I suppose if it's not been their life experience why would they know? Well yeah I mean they've never had to cross the street because they they don't feel safe. Hmm. Whereas we've we've at some point experienced that. Yeah. And, and I think for, for men, it's often hearing women's experience, particularly from a wife or girlfriend or a female friend or Rosie Batty on, on TV, it's often hearing women's experiences that sensitises men to this issue. Um, some men come to this issue too out of principle or ethics. Some men come to this because of their own experiences of violence, but it's certainly possible to sensitize men to the reality of women's everyday fears of men's violence and everyday experience of that violence and to inspire and motivate men to actually start taking action to actually start making change and where that change has to start is with themselves men have to put our own houses in order and look at how we treat the women and girls in our own lives first before we then start speaking out against our mates or challenging others although we don't have to be perfect we don't have to have an angelic life to start to make change Australian women over the past couple of years have asked men to to step up um, and to show allyship. And I love how um, some, you know, prominent men are are stepping up. One of them is one of my favourite authors, Tim Winton. And and he describes, um, he he, he had this description where he says that the, the boys in Australia get the tenderness squeezed out of them and that they're marinated in a culture of violence. Is Is that a description that you would agree with when it comes to Aussie blokes? Look, I think it's broadly true. I think it's shifting too, but I think that one of the ways that 
we socialize boys and men is to crush empathy, to crush empathy in them, which means it's harder to, to empathize with women's pain or indeed the pain of others. And so I think that one of the things we need to do to shift the epidemic problems of domestic and sexual violence in Australia is to raise boys differently, to change how we raise our sons, to change uh, how we treat boys and men in everyday life. Mm, it does feel a little overwhelming as far as how large this, this issue is and whether it's going to be two generations before we see even a shift. Michael, your work must, it feels very important, but does it feel overwhelming sometimes? Look, I, I suppose, you know, as an advocate, as someone who tries to contribute to social change, I do have a kind of optimistic bent. And I do see that there are genuine signs of progress. There is greater community understanding than there used to be of domestic and sexual violence. There's greater community support for the idea that men can play a positive role in making change. At the same time, there's no inevitable progress and there are some ways that things are going backwards. People seem more willing than they used to believe that women lie about rape and um, domestic violence, which is simply not true in general. Um, there are growing online communities where boys and men are radicalised into a real kind of women hating, a real kind of sexism. So there's progress and regress, but I very much believe that individually and together we can make positive change. And Michael, what's the influence of pop culture and social media? You know, when you see cases like, you know, the, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case play out for so long in public or, you know, similar issues like that, does that actually have a, a negative impact on the progress that we're trying to make in these conversations? Look, I would say absolutely. I think the Depp Heard case uh, you know, it was very actively mobilised by anti-feminist and other and other individuals and groups to kind of entrench some real victim blaming um, and violence denying understandings. Um, social media influencers like Andrew Tate and others are very actively mm. pushing what you would think of as misogynist or women hating narratives about women and sex and violence and so on. So popular media, popular culture, and popular media um, is a kind of critical place where we need to intervene. We need to hold social media platforms to account, but we also need to intervene directly so that we give boys and men in particular alternative, healthier, positive narratives about women, about sex, about dating, about relationships and so on. And uh, that leads me to a little plug for an event that you're doing in uh, Victoria in October at the Gippsland Performing Arts Centre. You're doing an event called Fostering Positive Masculinities Among Men and Boys. What is a positive masculinity? What, how do we foster that? Good question. So look, if a toxic masculinity is based on dominance, on aggression, on the repression of emotion and so on, then a positive masculinity is based on nonviolence, on respect, on care, on compassion, on emotional health and so on. And what's really clear is that fostering those visions of how to be a man, how to be a boy, are good for women and girls and good for boys and men themselves. I mean, I have—I don't have a son myself, but I have lots of friends who are raising boys and I have nephews as well. And I wish for that, for those boys. I want them to have healthy, beautiful, really loving relationships throughout their lives. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it requires a deliberate um, version of parenting. Would that be true? Absolutely. And I say that as a parent myself of a, um, you know, of two kids, I, it requires a kind of self-conscious um, nurturing of positive mm. forms of, um, you know, identity and relationships among our sons and daughters and others. But it also requires explicitly challenging some of the really negative 
and um, sort of sexist messages that our children may get from popular culture, from pornography and elsewhere. So I think that doing that is part of a, broad pro a broader, um, you know, a broader kind of plan of building positive communities. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're holding back the, the tide sometimes. If you, you just sit down and watch Married at First Sight and you're just like, what the hell is going on here? This is not okay. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> or just don't. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for your perspective and your very, very um, researched information. I find it really helpful in my general discourse in life and um, I really recommend people head along and... Uh, you can download your book, is that correct? Engaging Men and Boys in Violence Prevention. You can. It's, so it's available from a website called xyonline.net. So the website xyonline.net has that book free in PDF and a wealth of other resources, mm. whether you're trying to live a better life yourself or trying to contribute to social change. Thank you so much, Michael, and uh, enjoy your trip to, Mel to Victoria when you get here. Thanks very much. Oh, a bit of a heavy end to the show, but very important. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We've got to have those conversations. Mm, yes, we do. Um, meanwhile, we'll walk around with our very electable hairs and, <laughs> and, and chin. chin. Unapologetically, of Unapologetically, course. that's right. <laughs> therefore, thank you, as always, for joining us on Thanks, Broad Jenny. Radio. And we'll be back next Tuesday. We'll see you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.